Are you guys hungry for the word of God? Yes, me too. I get so excited about it. Sometimes when I'm reading the scriptures all alone, I have these surges happen to me. As I'm reading the Bible, it just becomes so real. My whole body just responds with like electric currents of God flowing through me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I love his voice because of the effect it has on my heart. It makes my heart soft. I ha- I'm prone to have a hard heart. But when the tenderness of Jesus comes into my ears, my heart just melts. And I'm in need of this daily. I remember Smith Wigglesworth said, there's a thousand parts of my heart that need to be softened a thousand times a day. <laughs> Praise God. I want to talk to you today uh, from the scriptures. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to teach about something that I feel is very important. I'm not the oldest person in the room. I'm not the wisest person in the room. I'm not the most experienced person in the room. But the scriptures give us plain teaching that we can just align our lives with and be safe. I think this is very important uh, for us, is the scriptures have got to be the paradigm. The, it's got to be the parameters. It's got to be the platform. Without the scriptures, man, we are just floating off into space. We need the scriptures. As John Piper once said, if you rake, you get leaves. If you dig, you get diamonds. So you go into the scriptures, you dig, and you find diamonds. Diamonds. I remember reading, Andrew Murray said, in worship, God takes us up to be with him, but in the word, he comes down to be with us. There's just something about the scriptures. I remember Charles Spurgeon was asked one time, what's more important, worship or the word? He goes, you tell me what's more important, breathing in or breathing out. The scriptures are very important to us. I want to talk to you today about have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want to speak to you about something that's going to help all of us from the scriptures in our marriages, in our friendships, in ministry, even in how God sees you. It's so important. It is this mind that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, I wrote a poem to start out, if that's okay. I love poetry, so I'll start off with this poem. But if, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, that's where we're going to jump off from. But I wrote this poem. It says, pride drains grace, it blinds us to his face, it withers men into snakes, it's flight from God's help, it's the custodian of hell, the fortress of lust, it threw angels into dust, it's the devil's cusp, it's Lucifer's invention and God's only prevention. It's so important that we realize How God sees humility and how God sees pride, it infiltrates every area of life. You turn to Philippians chapter 1, he goes through this incredible introduction, and it's, I love it, but then he starts getting to the meat of the matter and the reason why he writes, and it's in verse 27, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Just to make it foolproof, what he's saying is, what I'm about to tell you is the only thing that's worthy of the gospel. Anything other than what I'm about to say is not worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You follow me? So he says, so that when I come, 
and see you or remain absent. I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Do you see these three things that he says? It's one spirit, standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together. This is the only thing that is worthy of the gospel, which shows you that when we have different spirits, different minds, contrary minds, and when we don't work together and strive together in the gospel, it's no longer worthy to be called the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is very important. As a matter of fact, if you turn over to the last chapter, he begins to close at home and give practical application. If you know anything about Paul's letters, he always starts with this glorious revelation, and then he brings it down practically. For instance, in Ephesians, he's like, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And then in the end, he's like, so love your wife. <laughs> so he brings it up here, and he says, this is what you are. And he says, so live this way. This is how Paul is. So in chapter 4, he's going to show practically what he means. Chapter 4, verse 2, I urge, I'm going to mess up these names, Eudia, and I urge, urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. What's really interesting about this statement is how he started. He starts with to walk together, striving together, one mind, one spirit. That's what's worthy of the gospel. So, Eudia, Syntyche, walk together in the gospel. As a matter of fact, the word urge there is the word parakaleo. It's a compound Greek word which means para is alongside and kaleo means call. So he's saying, I urge you, Eudia, and then he says, I urge you, Syntyche. He doesn't say, I urge Eudia and Syntyche. He says it individually to both of them, almost as if to create a picture. Paul's in the center of the gospel and Eudia's walking over there and Syntyche's walking over there. So he says, come walk over here. Come back over here. He says to both of these ladies, come back and walk together in the gospel. Look at what he says next. He says, indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the gospel. These aren't new believers. These are women who are laboring together in the gospel. So this shows us that we don't graduate from having to apply this harmony life with one another. You think about the word harmony that's even used here. Harmony is two different notes that complement each other. Two completely different notes, but they work together and make it better than it was if they hadn't come together. Are you following me? And he's saying, I want you to live in harmony. Yes, she's a different note than you. Yes, she doesn't sound exactly the same as you. She's got her own tone. But come together, parakaleo, I call you guys together so that you can walk together, strive together, one mind, one spirit. This is the only thing that's worthy of the gospel. Are you following me? I'm saying this because there's many people in this room. Anytime you get a lot of people together, there's going to be problems. You get a team together, and it's great at the beginning, and then a year, two years, five years, and that's when the rubber meets the road when your smile, fake smile, starts to wear off. I want to show you how this is done. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Same book, and this is the same theme. The whole book is really about this in one manner. Chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, isn't that a funny statement? 
if there's any encouragement. That's like saying, if there's any light in the sun. Of course there's encouragement in Christ. He is encouragement. So he's saying this, this encouragement that's in Christ. Then he says next, if there's any consolation of love, that's exactly the same. How can you have love without consolation? Consolation is comfort that comes from a person. Consolation and love, they're, they're united together. So he's basically using this way of talk to say, guys, there's consolation in love, and in Christ there's encouragement. And then he goes on and he says, and fellowship in the Spirit. The Spirit is your fellowship. So he's saying this fellowship that you have by the Spirit, this consolation you have in love, this encouragement that you have in Christ, he shows that it causes affections and compassion. Let me just talk about affections and compassion. Affections are very important. God will kindle them. God will keep them. If we keep our hearts before him, he'll keep affections aflame, not only for him, but for everybody else. Affections are the difference between doing something so outwardly you look right and doing something from your heart. To help somebody so everybody knows you help them is one thing, but to help them because you desire to help them, that's affections. And that comes from the encouragement that's in Christ, the love, consolation, the fellowship that's in the spirit. It causes affections on the inside so that you are not faking things. Like they say, they say you're not faking it, you're faith in it. I hate that statement. I want to just burn the whole thing because the Holy Spirit works in your heart. He doesn't just give you a standard to conform your life to and then make sure you're looking like this. He goes into the whole of you and makes you completely different. I will take out the heart of stone and I'll put in you a heart of flesh. Praise God. So the, the, the Spirit is, is doing this affection, this compassion. Listen, let me just tell you what compassion is. Compassion is attraction to weakness. Attraction to weakness. We are completely opposite to this in and of ourselves. We see somebody who's not as old as us, rich as us, experienced as us, spiritual as us, and we have this kind of hierarchy mentality that we kind of conduct ourselves. This is natural. But this kind of compassion bends down and says, yeah, you're not, you don't have the money that I have, but I'm going to come underneath you and serve you. Yeah, you don't have the spiritual experience that I have, but I'm going to come underneath you and serve you. I'm going to look at you as a child of the king and treat you so. That's the kind of compassion that we see happens in this mind that is in Christ Jesus. And we'll go on a little further, and it says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. This is a paradigm. It's how you see people. It's how you see yourselves. As a matter of fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul talks about comparing ourselves with ourselves. And then he says, this is lack of understanding. Lack of understanding. When we begin to compare ourselves with each other and put your ministry up or your spirituality up or your financial status up next to other people, you lack understanding. You don't get it. Your mind is out of sync with the paradigm that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you following me? This is where contentions are born. They're born here. So it goes on here, and he says, have the same mind in you, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You say, how do we do this? Here it is, very practical. Paul is practical. Do nothing from selfishness. Wow. Do nothing from, he doesn't say make sure most of your actions 
are not selfish. He says, listen, don't permit selfishness at all in your life. This would save many a marriage. This would save many a friendship. This would save many a ministries. Do nothing from selfishness. Eric, what is selfishness? I need you to help me understand that word. I think I understand it, but what does it mean? It means you being the primary. It means it being all about you. Do not live your life and you're conducting your life in this world always thinking about only yourself. You follow me? He goes on further and he explains it. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. You know, this word empty conceit is very interesting. It's, uh, it's uh, doxa, the same word for glory, and then this other Greek word, I don't know how to say it, but it means empty glory. In other words, it's doing something outwardly. It's a pageantry. It's making it look like you're doing something right, but it's not real. And so he says, do nothing from selfishness or this empty glory that just wants something from men or just to be seen on the outside. Like I said, pageantry. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. There's the mind. The same mind. What is that mind? Humility. And then he goes on in here and he says, regard one another more important than yourself. Wow. That to me should throw a spear through every single one of our chests. Do, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind. In humility of mind, regard one another more important than yourself. That's almost like every time you get with somebody, put them on a pedestal above you. Put everybody up above yourself. Listen, and when, if you desire to put everybody above yourself, when somebody's put above you, it can only re, you can only rejoice because that was your goal anyways. But when we put ourselves on a pedestal, you, you, you take the head off of everybody who tends to come against your supremacy. Are you following me? This is, Paul is saying, this is gospel 101. He's saying this is what the gospel looks like. So he goes on here and he says, regard one another as more important than yourself. I love that verse. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. Notice he said merely, because you have personal interest that you have to tend to. But don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but for the interests of other people. How can I make you bloom and blossom? How can I make your part of the vineyard better? I remember one of our friends said one time, somehow my part of the vineyard is better if I make yours better. Yes. So it goes on here, and then he says, do, nothing, uh, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Here it is. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now he takes everything to the pinnacle. He goes to the highest place. Yes, he's talked practically. Yes, he's talked gospel reality. Now he grabs the center of the blanket and he lifts it to the heights and he says, look at Jesus. As one theologian says, meditation on Christ stimulates the soul. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's saying this may be, in, you may feel like this is impossible. There's no way I could live this life. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at Christ and something will happen on the inside of you. Consider him. Consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners, but yet he didn't even open up his mouth. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ, he says. And he goes on here and he says, uh, although he existed in the form of God, 
You want to talk about a pedestal. You want to talk about the highest place. You want to talk about gifting. You want to talk about calling. He is existing in the form of God, but yet he doesn't give thoughts to himself. He did not consider it equality with God a thing to be even grasped. That's the kind of mind that Paul is saying is gospel-centric. This is gospel 101. Put yourself low, because this is what Jesus does. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He did not regard equality a thing with, uh, to be grasped, but he emptied himself. I love this phrase, emptied himself, because it means his affections, his emotions, his own desires, what he wants people to be, how he wants to be treated, what he wants people to think about him. He takes it all and he goes like this. He emptied his, his, it all out. He just, all the contents are emptied out. To me, this is the key of humbling yourself. You know, it's interesting. There's a difference between being humbled Humbling yourself and being humble. Because being humble is the character and nature of Jesus. But to humble yourself is something you do. You go down low. You empty yourself. And then being humbled is when God takes the rod and dashes you to pieces. I'd much rather empty out the contents that God is trying to get out of me than him have to reach in there and get them. Wouldn't you? Jesus emptied himself. My God. He emptied himself. That's the mentality that is in Christ Jesus. That's the mentality that is gospel worthy. That's the mentality that Paul is saying to Judea and Syntyche, who are two gospel workers going separate ways. Come over here. Parakaleo, I'm calling you to come back here. I'm calling you to come back here to the gospel-centered mind. Have this mind in you. Empty yourself of yourself. Then he goes on here, and this is outstanding. He says, man, this, I, I'm going to try to make it through without crying. Taking the form of a slave, he didn't just not regard equality with God, something to be grasped. He didn't just empty himself. He then went even lower to become a slave. He didn't just stop there. He's made in the likeness of men. Can you... Think of the condescension of the creator of all things to subject himself to the restrictions and frailties of a human body? That's ridiculous. Then he goes on, being found in appearance like a man, he doesn't stop there. It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Not just death, but death on a tree. It's one thing to get your head chopped off and you're done in a moment. It's another thing to suffocate, bleeding to death, nakedly hanging in front of everybody to stare at, stare at and laugh at. Oh, I see the God-man hanging there with his bloody matted hair, sinners passing without a care, the Pharisees in satisfaction stare naked, he drips blood there. He's suffocating between the pair. Oh, there I see the fairest love that could ever be. So we turn our eyes to Jesus and we see he humbles himself to the point of death for this reason. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Those that are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. As I've laid out before you, these two women being called to come back to a life worthy of the gospel, to empty themselves of themselves and consider Christ and see that that's the way to live your life. I want to show you a verse that has been misunderstood for many years in my life. You keep going after to the glory of God the Father, and it says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, look at this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You say, Eric, why are you bringing that up? Notice the context. The context is humiliation, humility, unity by laying down your life for somebody else. When he says work out your salvation, it doesn't mean now we switch into works and you gotta make this thing happen yourself. You better work out your salvation, brother. No, no, he's saying this is what salvation outworks. This is what salvation looks like. Are you following me? This isn't about putting more effort in. It has to do with a recognition of the greatness of God that brings you low to the ground. That's the outworking of salvation. You say, Eric, I just don't know if that's true. Okay, well, I'll show you from the scriptures. Paul isn't the one who first says this uh, fear and trembling. He's borrowing it. He didn't just say it there for the first time. It has been said throughout all the ages, this fear and trembling. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 99, 1, in view of the reign of God and the throne of God and the exaltation of God, they bow low and tremble. You look at Isaiah 2, 17 and 21, the pride of men will be humbled and in that day men will tremble and fear. Do you see what's happening? It's the exaltation of God that causes men to fall down on their faces. That's what he means by in fear and trembling. This is how salvation works itself out. See the greatness of God and fall down. Then it goes on here next, 64 verse two of Isaiah, that they tremble and fear in the presence of God. It's presence-centered. 66 verse two, trembling at his word gets his attention. This is what God esteems, somebody who trembles at his word. And 1 Chronicles 16.30, it says that they will worship and tremble in his presence. So you have worship and trembling are united together. This is the way of life of those who believe. And Luke, there, I'll end with this. In the book of Luke, there's a sick woman. And you've all read this story many times. She's got an issue of blood. She's bleeding out. And she tries to find Jesus. She finds him by faith. She puts her hand on him. He, she touches him. She's healed. Jesus turns around. Who touched me? And then you guess what it says? When Jesus turned and gave her attention, it says, with fear and trembling, she fell to the ground. You say, what does this have to do with anything? It's a beautiful word picture that shows you this is what fear and trembling can be encapsulated in. You recognize your sickness. You deeply need Jesus. You're bleeding out without God. You remember that. And then by faith, you go find him. And you throw yourself in faith upon him. I need to touch you, Lord. I need you so bad. Jesus has all her attention in light of her sickness. I'm, I'm in need of God. 
God has all my attention. She touches him, and then Jesus turns, and she fears and trembles. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Recognize you need God. Go touch God and fall down on your face, and God will heal relationships. God will heal you continually. And I, I, I bring it all to this point. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. John Wesley says this means that God works religion inwardly and outwardly. All you do is yield to the Lord. Praise God. Yielding is the expression of humility. You go, Lord. You go, not me. There's this, there's this essence that is in the gospel that gets missed in our American culture. And I find it, it damages so many things. But I call us all today, I got 18 seconds left. I call us all today to have this mind adjustment in our marriages, in our friendships, in ministry teams. Let's put everybody else above ourselves. Let's see the greatness of God and fall down and lift everybody else up. Let's look and find how other people's interests can be met by us. How can we be less about ourselves? That's the, that's the whole point of the message. If you can't stand to your feet with me. Just put your hand on your heart. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, collectively as a whole. Let's pray this together, is that okay? Just close your eyes and focus on the Lord. Say this with me. Say, humility, thy endless work in me. Every pruning of the knife cuts the growing pride of life. Confusion, hurt, worry, and care. Humility would have greatly spared. If you would take me once again, remove pride's poison from within. Oh, I humble myself and bow to thee Teach me, Lord, humility to have a mind like unto thee. Humble Savior, humble me. Jesus. Oh, meek and lowly Lamb of God, I look to you and I ask you to show us your beauty. Show us the splendor and majesty of who you are that our hearts will bow low. Oh God, melt our ability to resist you. Melt our, our pedestals we've built for ourselves and the high opinion of ourselves. Lord, help us to see that godliness, godliness is a low nothingness, letting God be everything. Lord, show us again today that the selfless deeds that we do that no one sees are the seeds of the garden of godliness. Your precious name, God, do this work in me. Do this in us. Precious name.